Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hello. I'm particularly delighted today to be joined by the brilliant Gideon Levy, who is a, I would say, an extremely courageous, morally courageous journalist, um, someone I think a lot of us have been looking to, an Israeli writer for Haaretz. Um, I think a lot of us have been looking through as, as, a, as a kind of source of moral leadership, if you don't mind me saying, Gideon, all the way through this. Um, moral clarity, those two words, I think, have been, for me, the most important the most important two words since this horror began. And I think more clarity runs through your work like a stick of rock. So it's it's great to be able to discuss this with you. Um, getting firstly, can I just ask you something, just in terms of your own position, just so I guess we're kind of clear about where you stand at the moment, because I've been interviewing lots of Israeli peace activists, for example, who I'm always in awe of. Um, but if you look at the polling, I mean, just to show how courageous I think your position is, the polling shows that, at the moment, the vast majority of people in Israel think there's too much, uh, too little firepower being expended in Gaza. Um, a recent poll suggested most support the ethnic cleansing um, of Gaza. Now, obviously, Israel was traumatized by the horrors of 7th of October, but these are deeply depressing figures. And I'm just wondering, partly just the atmosphere at the moment and just how kind of marginalized that leads someone with your kind of moral clarity at the moment. It's it's an Israel that I don't I didn't I, I never met such an Israel and I met all kind of sides of Israel in my uh, long uh, career but this is a new Israel it's first of all the first war that I can recall that has no critics no resistance no moral doubts or any other question marks. And if they are, it's always, as you rightly mentioned, why are we so soft? Why don't we let it go? Uh, a famous uh, commentator in a mainstream uh, uh, channel suggested the other day that Israel should have started with 100,000 uh, uh, people in Gaza killed. And from there, to continue the war, then it would be maybe more smooth if you would just start with 100,000 people. And this is legitimate, by the way. So it's really an Israel I don't know. And some of my best friends, as we say, really shifted, really, really shifted. And I find myself, I, I was never so lonely. That's the truth. It's, it's, it's one of two. Either that that's the real face of Israel and the attack on the sevens legitimized it to be above the surface or that the sevens really changed things. I don't know which one is true, but I know that I keep on thinking if one attack, as barbaric as it was, and it was barbaric, mm -hmm. if one attack pushes so many Israelis to become inhuman, there's no other word but inhuman, imagine yourself what it does to Palestinians who live under those attacks for decades. 
And we always wonder how come they hate us and how come they became those monsters and how come they are so violent and how come they, 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 they are not human. Here is the answer. I mean, before, I mean, you know, I guess if we look back, I mean, precedents people look in terms of apartheid South Africa and there's similarities and there are differences. Uh, but these forms of societies that you get both the dehumanization of those who are occupied, uh, but it dehumanizes those who are occupiers as well. So I'm just wondering how much, because there used to be a very strong Israeli peace movement, which could mobilize vast numbers of people. And, you know, there was a, there was a form of, of, of left which dissented from, for example, the occupations of, you know, the, the post-1967 occupations. What happened to that? First of all, it must tell you how little solid it was if it all broke after one attack. Mm -hmm. It put some question marks. Was it really a solid camp? Did they really have solid values that they believed in? Because with all the seriousness that I take this barbaric attack, and believe me, it was horrible. I was in the kibbutzim two days after, and I saw horrible scenes. Mm -hmm. No doubt, no doubt, it was really, and by the way, those who put doubts on it now, mainly in the radical left in Europe, including my good friend Roger Waters, mm. it, it makes me sad because you shouldn't doubt it. It was terrible. It was mm -hmm. terrible. Even if here and there there were some details which were exaggerated or, or false, but by the end of the day, if one attack changes values, changes people so easily, then you might question how, how solid and how convinced they were from the first place. Because from my point of view, nothing changed. That's an outcome of a reality of people living in cage for, for 16 years. You can, I mean, Israelis can be mad at me as much as they want. This does not justify the attack, but it might explain the attack, and the attack has a, con a, con a, a context, and ignoring the context is really ignoring reality. I think it's quite a very, a very important point you made there, because, I mean, Hamas, as you say, committed serious grave war crimes, which aren't, or shouldn't be in any, any doubt at all. And I suppose you're kind of holding up a mirror there. You're saying to those in Israel who, 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 you know, we see the response, the mass dehumanization of the Palestinians, genocidal language, which I'll ask you about from, from Israeli leaders. Um, but you're saying, well, imagine you've suffered various atrocities over many, many years throughout the occupation. That, I mean, how much of an argument, if you present the argument in Israel, what response would you get? Like uh, 30 years ago, I asked, 25 years ago, I asked Ehud Barak, who was then a candidate for prime minister. It was short before the elections. I asked him, Mr. Barak, if you would have been born a Palestinian, what would you have become? And he gave me the only honest answer that anyone can give. He said I would have joined a terror organization. For me, it was the most natural answer because he's a warrior and that's, that's their army. And the shock, he almost lost the elections because of this answer. 
all, all, all those years, ever since then, I try always to ask Israelis, if you would have been in their place, what would you have done? Mm-hmm. The problem is that the Palestinians are so dehumanized by Israeli eyes that Israelis cannot put themselves in their place because we are human beings and they are not because we want to live and they don't care about lives because we love our children and they don't love their children. They see it as different creatures and therefore they cannot put themselves in their place. But this must be clear. Any behavior like this, occupation, apartheid, without dehumanization, it doesn't work. Because the dehumanization is the tool to guarantee that you will not have too many moral doubts. Once you say they are not human beings like us, they are cruel, they are brutal, they are barbaric, they were were born to kill, then everything becomes very easy. Then what do you want us to do? Sure, we have to be uh, brutal to them. And, And that's the key. And as long as this will not change, nothing will change. I think that's an important lesson we learned from the history of colonization. It should Absolutely. be a lesson which is alien to, to Europeans who, who live in former European colonial states. Um, Colonialism and also slavery, by the way. Of course. With slavery, it was exactly the same. I'm, I'm interested in terms of that rhetoric I just mentioned coming out of the, the mouths of some Israelis and officials. And I've interviewed, for example, Raz Gal, who is an Israeli-American, for those who don't know, um, associate professor in genocide and Holocaust studies. Um, I've also interviewed Professor Omar Bartov, um, who is, again, um, a professor of Holocaust and genocide studies. Um, Ralsi Gal describes it as a textbook genocide. Uh, Omar Bartov is more uncertain in that he says this is ethnic cleansing with a very clear risk of genocide happening. Um, but, but the point made in both cases is it's extremely rare in such horrors for the rhetoric of Israeli leaders, oh, sorry, of leaders and officials to be so blunt and, and, and genocidal in terms of the what actually happens, that might be a separate matter. But when you get, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu quoting from the from the from the Bible how Am- the nation of Amalek, remember what Amalek did to the Israelites. And in, in that case, Amalek attacked the Israelites and God commanded them to kill men, women and children. Um, you know, human animals. Um, there are only Nazis in the West Bank. Uh, you know, just what, what's your thoughts about what's happened there? How 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 real a threat do you think that language actually is in practice? This language uh, is part of Israel's weapons. This uh, language, which is no more only dehumanizing them, but also demonizing them much more than they deserve as a people. Uh, is again a very good tool to to implement uh, this brutal policy. Because if they are really what we describe them to be, then really we have to do something about it, because otherwise it's either them or us. Mm. But knowing Palestinians for so many years, traveling to the occupied territories and covering the occupation for over 30, 35 years now, that's not the Palestinians I know. That's not the Gaza, Gaza people that I know. And until this very day to Gaza, I, I couldn't visit in the last 16 years because Israel doesn't let any Israeli into Gaza. But I keep on traveling to the West Bank at least once a week. Those are not the people I meet there. Hmm. I meet there people exactly like us with the same dreams and the same ambitions 
with the same fears and the same emotions, who want to live like normal people with dignity, yes, with dignity. And, and they are, in many cases, I think the Palestinians are maybe much more tolerant than they should have been in many, because they are going through this hell for so many years. And you know, until the 6th of October, there was never such a, 7th of October, there was never such a violent explosion by them. There were the exploding buses, the suicide bombers. I don't underestimate this. But finally, by the end of the day, they could have done much worse to Israel. Because what Israel is doing to them now for 100 years, if you want, we, we shouldn't maybe start in 67, but in 48, and maybe with the uprising of, of Zionism, you, you wonder how tolerant they are, because still I believe that the majority of the Palestinians, at least this is my impression from the grassroots, I don't meet politicians, it's really the grassroots. They want to live side by side together, but in dignity and in equality. But they want to live side by side, while the Israeli sentiment is separation, not living together. That's a big difference. I, I saw an interesting segment on Israeli television in which it was quite a rare, I thought, expression of dissent by journalists who complained that the real horrors of what are happening in Gaza aren't being seen by the Israeli public. And I was just wondering, do you think that's true? Do you think actually much of the Israeli public isn't actually aware of the horrendous human consequences? Or has dehumanization got to such a degree that it's more that it's apathy at that kind of level of suffering or a sense of vengeance because of the horrors of what happened? Look, I think this is the darkest hour of Israeli media ever. It's a free media. It's a commercial media. No one dictates what to what should be seen and what shouldn't. No censorship except of the military censorship, which, which is really minimal. We can say and think and write whatever we want. And the entire media, except of Haaretz, the entire media, and mainly the, the mainstream TV stations, as if they got together and decided we are not covering Gaza. We will not show Gaza to our viewers and to our readers. And the degree of, of denial this time, I mean, the occupation was always denied by Israeli media. It, were, it always betrayed its mission to cover it and never did. But this time, you can't believe it because TV now in Israel in the last three months is 24-7 only about the war. So there's nothing else but this. There are no entertainment programs or almost none, nothing. 24 hours of, of debates and, and information from the, from the battlefields. You don't see Gaza. And if you see Gaza, you see only Gaza of the soldiers. You don't see Palestinians at all not. I can tell you that any Brit or French or any European or American or Japanese average viewer saw, saw so much more from Gaza than an average Israeli. And if they show something, you know, we are both journalists, it's also about the framing. So you give a clip of uh, 20 seconds, uh, 30 seconds, you cover it up immediately that most of them, most of the victims were most probably terrorists, and you go on, and you see nothing. Now, why do they do it? 
Nobody told them, as I said, to do so. But they know exactly that the viewers don't want to see it and the readers don't want to read it. And in this is the big betray, because by this, by the thought that we, our job is to please our clients and not, and we don't have any other social or political mission just to tell the story, the full story. You know, we were always laughing at the Russian TV, how it shows uh, uh, only the Russian side in the war in Ukraine. Israeli TV is not different at all, and maybe even worse, maybe even worse. And this again puts a question mark about uh, the, the moral question, because if you don't even face the reality, so you're disconnected from reality. Do the Israelis care about Gaza or not? It's almost an irrelevant question because they, they live in denial. They truly believe that most of them deserve to die. They truly believe that those eight, 9,000 children who were killed were killed by mistake. And there was no other choice but to kill them. And it's very hard to fight it when it is such a wall-to-wall -wall agreement not to see, not to know, and not to, to take any consequences out of it. I do think it's striking. I've seen, I mean, obviously I've seen segments of Russian television with quite bloodthirsty rants um, about Ukraine, similarly on Israeli television, rants about Gaza. There was very disturbing, I would say, I mean, horrifying uh, similarities. I mean, in terms I, of... Uh, sorry, I can just ensure you, Owen, that... Uh... In Israeli TV, it might be worse because we have something that the Russians don't have, and this is the ongoing victimization. Because it's one thing to show the brave soldiers and the big successes in the war, and to show uh, how happy the soldiers are to be there, which the Israeli TV shows nonstop. But at the same time, we get back again and again and again to the victims. And you can see hours and hours of victims of their stories, which is fair enough. But when you do so and you ignore the other victim, then it's really immoral. I mean, on that, you know, there's nothing, I suppose, because I think it's so important that people like myself apply as much emotional intelligence as possible in, in these horrors. And, you know, there's nothing unique about oppressors wrapping themselves in the garbs of victimhood. But in this case, of course, there were victims on the 7th of October. There were innocent Israeli civilians who were killed. And there is also, obviously, the question of the Holocaust, which happened within living memory. And obviously, two-thirds of European Jews were exterminated. And I'm just wondering, just in terms of, you know, how much that has an impact in terms of how the prism through which everything is seen, which is uh, that 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 those that Israel can only be a victim in that sense. And that history of the Holocaust is always relied upon. And I suppose what happened on the 7th of October, therefore linked to it. And that provides an emotional firewall for much of the population of Israel to prevent them having empathy with people in Gaza. So first of all, there is also quite a cynical manipulation about it. Israel yeah. always used the Holocaust to its own purposes. Mm -hmm domestically and internationally, until this very moment. Which does not mean that the Holocaust is not a national trauma. My parents fled away from Europe. My whole family was exterminated in Europe. I mean, I, I don't 
obviously don't uh, underestimate the horror. But when you start to use it for your own purposes, it is exaggerated, and it is also exaggerated here. For example, to call Hamas Nazi, a Nazi organization is a pure, cheap manipulation. They are a fundamentalistic, terrible organization. They are not Nazis, and you can't compare them to the Nazis. Israel is always shocked when anybody compares the Israeli occupation to the Nazi occupation, and rightly so. But they are also not Nazis. They are cruel, evil, fundamentalistic Muslims who should be crushed. But Nazis, they are not. And that's a manipulation to call them Nazis. Because again, if they are Nazis, if Jibalia is, is, is Auschwitz, so let's bomb it and kill everyone in it. And we have the full legitimiz legitimization for this. I, I cannot be part of it. They are a very, very cruel uh, rival, but to call them Nazis is really also, in a way, uh, making the real memory of the Holocaust cheap. I mean, you've also had Israeli ministers and apologists for the onslaught in Gaza saying that Hamas are worse than the Nazis. And that strikes me actually as a form of Holocaust denial because it belittles the horror of the Holocaust. Absolutely, absolutely. Why are they worse? Did they build extermination camps? Do they have a systematic plan of exterminate, exterminating all the Jews, all the Israelis? Did they build concentration camps to the Jews? Did, did they use gas chambers? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. By what are they Nazis? I mean, if they are Nazis, I can give you some other examples who are also Nazis, and I don't want to get into it, but none of them, none of the parties is a Nazi. I just wanted to, in terms of possible outcomes in Gaza, because... Um, for example, within Likud, there's the former uh, Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, Danon, who's been agitating for what's called, he calls, voluntary migration. And in fact, co-wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post um, uh, calling for that with uh, the one of the leaders of the opposition, the so-called liberal opposition. Um, and he's been agitating for that. And it was reported... Um, by Israel Hayom, which is the most distributed, for those who don't know, newspaper in the country, um, uh, that Benjamin Netanyahu said that they were uh, they were looking into making that happen. 
Um, but the question was receiving, uh, getting countries to agree to receive those from Gaza. Now, the polling is very clear. People in Gaza don't leave their homes. Uh, the vast majority of people never will leave their homes. So, as is, the vast majority of people in Gaza are people who are already the relatives of people who were forced to flee their homes, obviously from 1948 onwards. And they know that if they leave their homes, they never come back. That's the history of the Palestinian uh, people. Um, and it's, you know, it seems very clear that what's happening is the, the conditions of life are made unbearable in Gaza. And those like Benjamin Netanyahu know that ethnic cleansing is a grave crime. It's therefore dressed up in humanitarian garbage, that, in, in clothing, that look, Gaza is no longer habitable, therefore to rescue the Palestinians, we have to make them leave. Do you think that is the outcome? Do you think the military campaign is actually designed to make Gaza unlivable and that the forced removal dressed up as voluntary migration of the Palestinian people, that is a possible outcome? I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and I wouldn't think that it is planned to kick them outside of Gaza. But transferring the Palestinians both from the West Bank and from Gaza is a hidden dream of many Israelis and many Israeli politicians, mainly in the right. They know that it is impossible in normal circumstances. For many years, they, tyrant, they are tyrannizing the Palestinians in the West Bank and in Gaza, wishing that this will push them out. But this failed already. We know after 55 years of occupation that the people of the West Bank and Gaza didn't leave, are not leaving, and are not going to leave. That's their land. They are attached to this land 100 times more than the Jews in Israel. They immigrate much less than the Jews in Israel, and they will not change. They will stick this famous sumud, it's a value in Palestinian uh, society, namely to stick to the land. Right. Now, those right-wingers and others, I don't want to say only right-wingers, but it's not a marginal group, they believe that under the darkness of an overall war, many things can happen, like in 48. Also in 48, we are not sure that there was a very systematic plan for the Nakba. There are some evidences, but it's not like there was a very systematic plan to kick all the Palestinians off from Palestine. Same now, a big war can push them out. Now, the problem now is that they have no place to go because Egypt will not let them in and no other Arab country will take them. So even if this is still a dream or a plan of Israel, it's going to fail because the people of Gaza will not leave voluntarily and no country will accept them, for sure not in terms of 2.3 million people. But it is very dangerous because, again, those talkings are normalizing an option, a possibility of transfer of ethnic cleansing. And that's another stage in deteriorating the, the Israeli discourse. What used to be only a dream of lunatics like Rabbi Kahana, who was illegitimate in Israel, is becoming now uh, one of the ideas, the normal ideas, uh, well-respected, uh, politically correct ideas that are discussed in uh, TV studios, in meetings, in, in in parties uh, meetings, 
it's very dangerous. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the West Bank, where around 3 million of the Palestinian people live. And um, now, as we know, Hamas committed a grave war crime by taking civilians hostages. It's very straightforward war crime, actually. Um, you've written about those detained in the West Bank by Israel, and you actually describe them as Israel's own hostages. So I'm just interested in your what the what you would say about the conditions of those detainees. Why you call them hostages? Because I suppose in the context of Israel, that must seem a very controversial thing to have said, and I'm, I'm sure would have caused some backlash. So why describe them as as hostages? And 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 just tell us what you found from your own work. Because I know you've done actually quite a lot of detailed work on this uh, in terms of the conditions of those detained. As you know, Owen, every night, but every night, the Israeli army is uh, penetrating into Palestinian villages and towns and cities every night. And uh, in the last uh, months or years, they are arresting tens, dozens of people a night. There's no legal basis to those arrests. They are just coming, kidnapping people from their beds in front of their children in a very brutal and violent way. They do it on a daily basis. Then they take them to interrogation and, uh, and uh, they might bring them to court. They might put them in administrative detention, which means they don't even know what are their charges. And they can stay like this for months and years. This is the routine. This routine became even worse ever since the war started. Israel had a, a, a and I call it kidnap because there is no legal control on this. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, to go to arrest somebody in Israel, you need to have some charges. You need to bring him to a, to a judge within 24 hours. You need to have some basis to this. You can't just come to my home, pick me up and take me to somewhere and, and leave me there for one month and then bring me to court or even not bring me to court. This is kidnapping. It's not arrest. It's kidnapping. And they do it, including, by the way, many juniors, mm. teenagers, and even children. We have thousands and thousands of people like this. Most of them are either innocent or political prisoners. All kind of strange allegations. And above all, their punishment, if they are brought to court, because they are not brought to the court, the Jews are brought to. They are brought to the military court. And the rules of the game are totally different. I mean, that's not a court. That's a joke. Yeah, the military courts. All together, I cannot call them detainees. I have to call them as they are. They are kidnapped people, hostages that Israel, and then comes the conditions in which they are held. And here there was a real deterioration ever since the war started because we have a minister of national security, Itamar Ben-Gvir, mm. who is a, a pure sadist. Mm. That's his main, 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 main motivation to be as evil as possible to Palestinians. A settler, a violent man who with a, with a criminal background, with dozens of, of uh, 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 trials that he had in the past, arrested many times, really a gangster. 
He's the minister of uh, national security, and he is also in charge of the prisons in Israel. And what they do now to the prisoners is unbelievable. I can almost say in certainty, even though I'm not sure, but that the Palestinian prisoners in Israel get much worse human conditions than the, the hostages in Gaza. You know, they, they haunted hundreds of Palestinians. They handcuffed for weeks and months with their eyes covered. Hmm. I mean, where do you can, where do you mean, I see in, in, in Putin's Russia, you don't see it. And even this is accepted by Israeli society because they are all Hamas and they all participated in the raping and the killing of the sevens and therefore we have the right to do whatever we want. I mean, in terms of the West Bank, what happens next? Uh, before 7th of October this year, it was already the deadliest year for Palestinians. 240 Palestinians were killed, dozens of them children. Um, we've seen since a wave of settler violence um, as well as army violence, huge numbers of Palestinian civilians have, have died. Again, many of them children, been killed, I should say. Sorry, not died, killed. Um, what do you think happens next with, with the West Bank? There are obviously illegal settlements all over the West Bank. Uh, it feels like the noose is tightening really over Palestinian society there. Some are talking about the possibility that there could be an explosion there, that there's so much, you know, that they're watching, they're often including relatives in Gaza being killed. Um, they're facing this huge brutality, including what you just mentioned, um, this kidnapping by the Israeli security services. Where do you see things going in the West Bank? I'm afraid that uh, in the West Bank, uh, the Palestinians are much more helpless. They don't have any leadership. There's no one to protect them. The PA is uh, irrelevant, the Palestinian Authority. They are very divided in some places, in others they are united, but in some places they are divided. And above all, the Israeli military presence in the West Bank is so tied up that I don't see it happening. They sit on their veins, really, they sit on their necks. They, they cannot move with all the checkpoints, with all those raids, with all those uh, kidnapping I don't see that an explosion, because for, for having an explosion, it must be also somehow organized, equipped. So you see local explosions like in the Janine refugee camp, in other refugee camps, but I don't see another intifada coming up because, as I said, above all, they lack also leadership right now. Mm. I mean, it is what does happen next. Um you know, I mean, again, I keep conjuring up apartheid South Africa, and I mention it just because I keep talking about this with, with other guests, both Palestinian and Israeli. Um, most white South Africans did buy into apartheid for a very long time, quite enthusiastically in many cases. Um, and what changed was international pressure, essentially. Uh, but there doesn't seem much prospect of that happening at all here. Um, the US has given a blank check to Israel. There's occasional hand-wringing, but there's no consequence. Biden, I mean, so, someone did a, went through every time Biden mentioned civilian casualties um, in phone calls with Netanyahu and found that afterwards often the number of civilian casualties actually went up. So what, What? you know, and we, we, this is an election year next year in terms of the United States that has a consequence as well. 
what what do you I mean what possible hope? Because the only endpoint has to be an acceptance that this land belongs to both Jews and Palestinians, and there has to be security and safety for for both, and, and a happy future for both. But the, that doesn't even seem that does that seems completely far fetched. It sounds that sounds almost ludicrous to say it now. So what what where do you see the possible hope? Who told you I see a possible hope? Well, yeah, quite. You said it all. The key is in the international community. I mean, Israel will not change by itself. And Israeli public opinion for sure will not change by itself. And right now they are just moving and shifting more and more to the right. So so there will not come a change. The, the formula is very simple. As long as Israelis don't pay and are not punished for the occupation and not taken accountable for it and don't feel it on a daily basis, nothing will change. The only chance for a change will be when Israelis will start to feel the occupation in their daily life, which they don't, even though the occupation is half an hour away from our homes. But we, we live as if it doesn't exist with the help of the media, with the help of the fact that not, none of the Israelis goes to the West Bank or very few of them go there. So that's, you know, beyond the mountains of darkness, uh, what's going on there, and we can have our wonderful lives, and everyone who visited Israel know that they have, there is very good life in Israel. The, the cafes are picked up, even those days, by the way, even though now there is a, a heavy atmosphere in Israel, I don't want to underestimate it, but not because of the suffer of the others, because of our suffer. But by the end of the day, as long as the international community will not make the move from talkings to actions, nothing will change here. And until now, the international community, led obviously by the United States, was always very good in condemnations and totally helpless and passive when it comes to actions. Look at uh, the invasion of Russia to Crimea. It took a few weeks and there were sanctions. After 55, 56 years of occupation, even mentioning sanctions toward Israel is criminalized, is labeled as anti-Semitism, while it is the only hope, the only hope for change. There is no other hope, and this hope, as you said, is a very, very limited hope because I don't see the world changing. The only hope, if you insist on finding a hope, is that I can see that the younger generation, mainly in the United States, is changing dramatically. And after this war, even more so. Mm. And Israelis should have worried a lot about 10, 15 years' time from now. The problem is that Israel never thinks in those terms. It's always about today and tomorrow. But when you see the polls in the United States, they should horrify any Israeli. And then reality will change. When the new generation who declares now, who answers now in the polls in a vast majority that, that even the right of Israel to exist is questioned in those polls, then Israel will, will face a big problem because when the United States will change, Israel will have to change. And it's interesting too, seeing polls, particularly of younger Jewish Americans too, and how they've changed and they've been involved in absolutely many of the movements. There. I mean, just just very finally on that, because I just want to loop back to where I began in terms of yes. isolation, I suppose, in terms of 
what can you, in terms of any fragments of potential leadership? Um, because I suppose some would say what was called the Israeli left built the occupation and then the Israeli right built on that further in terms of the horrors we're now seeing. Um, there's Standing Together, a movement which brings together Palestinian and Jewish citizens of Israel. I've interviewed them repeatedly, actually. But do you see any, do you see even fragments of, because, you know, I, I, one thing you talked about younger people in America, I've seen polling of younger Israelis, bleak. I think one of the most bleakest things I've, I saw recently was a group of Israeli pupils practically trying to lynch their headmaster because he'd shared a Haaretz article which supported peace. And that's very much the reverse of what you see in America or Britain, where you've got younger people who are very, you know, dissent from 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 the right right wing leanings of the older generation. So, is there any just at finally end? There's you. There's the likes of standing together. I mean, is is there any other fragments you can see that provide a potential future nucleus? Not even in the most sophisticated the microscope, I can find any signs of of a wake-up call of a young generation. Look, there are individuals, there are some groups, very devoted. They do wonderful jobs. There are those young people and older people who go and protect the shepherds in the West Bank from the settlers. There are those who, who document the crimes. They are really devoted Israelis, but they are so small in number, and they shrink now. Even they shrink now. And this war, I mean, by the end of this war, we will see that Israel had lost so much in many aspects. But one of the aspects will be the crashing of the last remains of the Israeli left, of the last remains of Israeli humanity, empathy, human feelings like the Palestinian sacrifice. It's all gone thanks to this war. And it's a hell of a price also for Israel because the society, the society that will come out of this war will be a much worse Israel than before. And it wasn't so good before either. Well, bleak but honest. And I think those two words I used from the very beginning, more clarity in space throughout everything that you said. It's important. People need to hear this, this level of honesty, but I think also being hard-nosed, it shows in terms of how international pressure is actually key in terms of what happens next. Gideon, it's such an honour to, to, for you to have joined us. Do, but for those watching or listening, do share, like, subscribe. Uh, but Gideon, that was absolutely phenomenal. Really, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it no less than you. And I wish I could be more optimistic, but believe me, I'm looking everywhere for hope. Right now, I can't find it. Well, I think honesty is better than than false hope. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you very much, Owen. All the best. And we'll meet one day, I'm sure.